Radio Illuminae, raising vibrations to help heal nations. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sentience All That Matters, the show where we discuss everything vegan, where we delve into what it means to be vegan, we help you understand the choice behind veganism, whether you're non-vegan, vegan or an activist, I'm sure you'll find something here to whet your appetite and give you a better understanding of where vegans come from. So Sentience is an animal rights group based on the south coast and you can find out more about us by going onto Facebook, Sentience All That Matters. You can check out our TikTok at Activist269. And if you have any questions you'd like answered, you can email us at sentienceatm at gmail.com. On this week's show, we will be discussing the truth behind the Red Tractor and Free Range logos and what they actually mean when you're buying these certified products. We'll also be talking about this week's animal rights hero and giving you their story from vegetarian up to becoming an animal rights activist with multiple actions under their belt and how this amazing example can help you make the leap into activism. And we'll also be discussing direct action and how this actually works in light of the recent events from Animal Rebellion on Valentine's Day on Westminster Bridge. We'll be discussing why they carry out these actions and the effect that they have. So buckle up for another packed episode and we'll be back right after this.
So, Free Range and Red Tractor. Accreditation labels we see everywhere from eggs to chickens to bacon. Pretty much every animal based product you'll see either Free Range, Red Tractor, British Farmed, all these wonderful accreditations reassuring you that the products that you're buying are better than the standard that everyone else is buying. Comes with a nice price increase on it as well just to show you even more how special these animals must have been to be labelled Red Tractor and Free Range. What a wonderful example of marketing the masses this is. So let's delve into exactly what these labels mean, where they came from, who owns them and who hands, who hands out the accreditations. So before we get into each of these accreditations, as always on this show, we like to start at the beginning. So let's actually break down what an accreditation is, the point of it, and who really should be in control of these awards and statuses given to a product or a company. So the point of an accreditation should be something that recognizes that a product has superseded expectations, it is better than standard market, and has been independently assessed to be of high quality and a market leader in its own industry. The label is effectively an endorsement of the superiority of the product. Furthermore, one would assume that these products are independently assessed and verified for their standing by a body not related to the company selling the product. Otherwise, it would pretty much render the endorsement biased and useless. So I guess it's going to come as a massive shock to you when I let you know that Red Tractor was in fact started by the National Farmers Union of England and Wales in the year 2000. Yes, the very farmers that are selling you their animal products are the ones that created their own certification standards that they live by. Now before you jump up out of your armchair and tell me that surely farmers having some standards and some certification is a must in food preparation and surely this is a good thing, let's just understand why Red Tractor was brought into place and uh, what led to these standards being implemented. Well let's all go back to the days of BSE, mad cow disease. And where did mad cow disease come from? Well, that came from farmers feeding cows mulched up body parts of other cows, which led to the death of 232 people from infected beef. In other words, yes, at some point it was perfectly legal for farmers to feed their cattle, the meat and bone meal scrapings from the slaughterhouse rather than 
throw it away. And unbelievably, still to this day, there are farmers that argue the case for feeding this to cattle as a protein source. So at this point, the beef industry needed something to re-establish the faith in the animal agriculture industry with the British public. And even the agriculture minister, John Gummer, forced his daughter to eat a burger on national media to offer reassurances that beef was safe. But more than this, they needed a new system to show what was happening in the farms was safe and that everyone could all go back to eating animals perfectly safely. Enter the red tractor standards and certified farms. On the face of it, an impressive functioning network of information on all farms, animals, feed, transportation and slaughterhouses reassuring the consumer that every step of the animal's life and preparation is monitored and inspected, ensuring the highest of standards and never again allowing the BSE disaster to occur. Sadly, just like in The Wizard of Oz, this is a thin curtain of lies hiding the truth of what's actually behind Red Tractor. When we come back, we'll lift the veil on the lies and marketing behind the scheme.
so now we know who owns and runs Red Tractor and why it was brought into place. Let's actually see the effects that it has on the public, the farmers and the animals themselves. Because obviously there must be an effect on all three, otherwise there's no point of Red Tractor existing, is there? Well, what difference does it make for the animals? I'm guessing that most of you think that the animals have a much better life because of Red Tractor, because they're now being monitored and the standards are being checked. Well, sadly, Red Tractor only inspects its farms once a year, and dairy, beef and lamb farms are only inspected once every 18 months. So actually, there's plenty of time for farmers to clear up any mess that they don't want the inspector to see when they turn up on their farm. Secondary to that, no amount of caring for an animal can negate the fact that when it goes through to the slaughter process, this horrendous situation is the most extreme, torturous, painful process the animal can ever be put through. And no amount of care on a farm will negate the slaughter process. In fact, any animal spending its life in a factory farm will know nothing but pain and suffering, ex exploitation and no label is going to make them feel better during that process. Even on small holding farms with less animals per square meter the issue still is that the farmers can't afford to care for the animals properly therefore they are still kept in poor conditions as shown in multiple exposés by Viva. Red Tractor Assurance still allows castration and debudding with no anaesthetic, allows tails to be cut with pairs of scissors, teeth to be snapped in half with pliers, pigs to be gassed to death. So really there is no difference between a non-Red Tractor registered farm and a Red Tractor certified farm. We're simply talking about a track and trace system here, not an animal welfare system. So what effect does it have on the farmer? So the farmer has to pay to be part of Red Tractor accreditation. Farmer has to meet certain criteria to be able to gain access to this special club so they can charge more for their products. But once they've paid their dues and they're in the club, they can then market their animal products as Red Tractor and have a higher standard than everybody else's, gaining them extra cash when they're sending their animals to market. They also have the added benefits that they know that they're only gonna get one inspection every year or 18 months. And that inspection is always booked in advance so they have plenty of fair warning when the inspector is going to be coming to the farm giving them plenty of time to clean up anything that they wouldn't want the inspector to see and retain their red tractor certification now obviously for the farmer having red tractor certification means that they can do business with supermarkets like tesco's and morrison's and will be able to sell their products easily It'll be a lot harder for them to sell their animal products if they don't have the certification so they do need to ensure that they keep within the boundaries of the certification but in all honesty 
this doesn't take much effort or many changes from the farmer. So what does Red Tractor mean to the people buying the products? Well, quite simply, the only difference for you buying the products is that you're now paying more for the self-same product you were buying without the accreditation. Because as we discussed earlier, the scheme is really only a hidden track and trace because if, if there's ever a outbreak again in the food system, they need this sophisticated system to trace where it came from. So what you're effectively doing by buying free range and red tractor is just paying for the food industry's track and trace along with the farmers paying for that too. So congratulations, you have fallen for the largest mass marketing in the history of mankind. Probably only second to the cigarette smoking being healthy for you. So there we have it, Red Tractor, an ill-conceived track and trace scheme forced onto the farming industry by the government after a massive outbreak kills a few hundred people, paid for by the farmers and the consumers, and bringing no changes to animal welfare to the animal agriculture industry whatsoever. Also gives you just a small insight into the relationship that the National Farmers Union have with their own farming community. Yes, it's not a great one. Up next, the rock star of food marketing, the free range label.
So let's get right into free range. So according to the Oxford Dictionary, free range in terms of livestock means kept in natural conditions with freedom of movement. And for eggs, it means produced by free range poultry. So by very definition, we already start to see the slant in the truth where natural conditions are the furthest from where these chickens are kept. Chickens bred for meat will typically be 30 to 40,000 stuffed into one breeding shed. Chickens that are egg laying hens will typically have less than an A4 size piece of paper to live in their entire lives. Neither of these things are their natural environments, clearly. So our wonderful RSPCA states that chickens must have a defined amount of space. There must be no more than 13 birds per square meter. They must be at least 56 days old before they are slaughtered and they must have continuous access throughout the day to open air runs with vegetation for at least half of their lifetime. Does this happen? No. And why doesn't it happen? Because nobody's checking that it's happening. So if no one's gonna get inspected and checked, they don't need to make sure these systems are in place. Furthermore, let's remember there's no strict classification on what these birds can be fed to be classed as free range. So, yeah. In addition, the chicken farmer simply has to prove that there is an external area for the chickens to visit through the day when they feel like it. However, due to the number of chickens in the shed and the size of the tiny holes in the side of the barn to let them out to visit the outside area, most chickens will never see the light of day their entire lives. In any case, their complex social structure and the stressful environment they're currently being placed in means they are highly unlikely to move around the shed and even be able to locate the exit route. And please remember also at this point, not only are they standing around in inches of their own feces and urine, the ammonia smell and the noise alone in the shed is overwhelming. There's multiple dead chickens lying around that are being cannibalized because roughly 8% of the shed will die during the process. And of course, the other thing that you need to have for the ability to go outside is the actual ability to walk. Now, a lot of these chickens, because of the way they are genetically bred, do not have the ability to move themselves that far. The skeletons do not keep up with the weight that they are putting on so rapidly, and a large number of these chickens will become lame and unable to move in any case. Stepping back to free range eggs for a moment, typically, Wild hens will lay around 20 eggs per year. Whereas factory farmed hens lay around 500 a year. This extra pressure on their bodies leaves them exhausted, 
It also drains their bodies of calcium to produce the shells, leaving their skeletal structure in a weakened state. Once they can no longer produce the number of eggs required to make the farmer the profit they need, they are sent off to slaughter for cheap meat. Again, as I always tell you, do your own research, check out the peer-reviewed studies and the investigations. Charities like Viva constantly doing investigations on farms, free-range farms and red tractor farms to show that these standards mean absolutely nothing. So if these standards do mean absolutely nothing, then what's the point? Why bother going to the process of uh, producing a badge like Free Range so that everyone can use it? Well, the first and obvious reason is to delude the public that the animals are treated in a respectful, humane way. When you purchase these products, you think that you are doing the right thing when actually you're making absolutely no changes at all to their lifestyle, what happens to them and the torture show they have to go through to produce that chicken breast or that egg. But it does make you feel better. It certainly doesn't make the animal feel better. The other reason is of course the other reason that lies and marketing stretch through every possible avenue of our lives and that is to make other people more money at the cost of somebody else and who doesn't like a multi-million pound marketing campaign laid onto a brainwashed nation for decade after decade as always check it out for yourself there's a wonderful article currently in the guardian on free range and actually organic as well and it's groundbreaking articles like these that peel back the veneer of the animal agriculture industry to reveal the ugly underbelly that you all don't want to take notice of
that jaw-dropping expose of just how brainwashed you are let's move on to something a little bit more delightful and that's this week's animal rights hero now this person is a classic example of somebody that breaks the vegan militant hippie stereotype coming from a perfectly normal background and just reveals her story of how she made the transition and the journey. So this week's hero is Lorraine, an animal rights activist based in the south coast of the UK. And Lorraine has kindly written out a beautiful rendition of her vegan story and her vegan journey, which I'm gonna read out for you now. Vegetarian from the age of 11, following asking my dad what haggis was, Fortunately, he explained in detail and that was enough for me not to want any part in eating animals. Fast forward to 2019 and I noticed a rise in veganism and it sparked my interest. I watched the Game Changers and what the health documentaries and made the decision to go vegan based on what I had learnt about the benefits to my health and the environment. Wanting to increase my vegan network, I started following vegan Facebook groups including Brighton Vegans, I started to see glimpses of routine animal cruelty within animal agriculture. I'd always avoided learning about what happens to animals for my food. My thought process was that I wasn't contributing to this cruelty, so why would I want to traumatise myself by learning? But, again, my interest was sparked. I knew I wanted to build my vegan friendship group, to socialise with like-minded people, and therefore started attending social meetups. One weekend, I decided to go along to the Green Vegan Fair in Brighton. They were selling all types of vegan food, products, doing talks and performances. There was also an animal rights activism stall. And Claire, who is now a very good friend, was showing standard slaughterhouse footage from the Dominion documentary. When I looked over, it was the moment the pigs were being lowered into a gas chamber and they were thrashing around in pain as the gas burned their insides. I couldn't hold back the tears. Something ignited inside of me and I instantly knew I needed to help make this stop. I introduced myself and exchanged details. From this moment, my life changed drastically. I deep dove into everything animal rights, watched documentaries and read books, 
It was absolutely shocking and devastating. It was a million times worse than I'd ever imagined and I realised then that no one can truly understand the enormity of how bad it is without viewing the footage. I was so angry with myself for not having learnt earlier because if I had, one, I would have stopped consuming eggs and dairy a long time ago and two, I would have been advocating for animals. People just don't realise how cruel these industries are. I threw myself into outreach as much as I could but it really wasn't easy for me because I knew the flack that vegans often get and I was anxious about how people would respond to me. I was also anxious too from the trauma of what I'd witnessed which I hadn't really taken on board at the time. The first event I went to I was so nervous my hands were shaking. It was anonymous for the voiceless who have a strict protocol so I guess I had an additional worry that I could get it wrong. Claire and Leon were there and they gave me lots of reassurance and were happy for me to just observe until I felt comfortable. Initially I opted to hold the TV screen which isn't easy by the way. It gets heavy and it's uncomfortable wearing these masks. I did enjoy watching the public reactions when they were viewing the footage and it gave me the opportunity to overhear conversations between volunteers and members of public. Over time, I progressed to shadowing more experienced activists, which really helped. I kept attending outreach, as I felt so strongly that I needed to do something to help farmed animals. Despite how difficult it was for me, and how unnatural it felt, I was very determined. It took quite a long time for me to go from an observer to actually feeling confident enough to talk to the public. All the activists were so supportive and never ever pressured me to do anything I found uncomfortable that was so important for me. Attending many different types of activism events over a period of a year, I realised what I felt most comfortable with. I stopped attending AV and started going to events run by Sentience, We The Free and Animal Rebellion, Save The Beagles and pop-up child-friendly events such as Pegasus The Unicorn. I also attended my first London Animal Rights March, which was so amazing. Sentience, We The Free and Animal Rebellion's approach is to be kind and non-judgmental of meat eaters with a focus on non-violent direct action and communication. That worked well for me because my background in social work. Whilst the primary focus is animal rights, it's also fine to talk about health and the environment benefit of a vegan diet. I consider myself an environmentalist so again, this really appealed. It took me a while to build my confidence, but I succeeded because of the support from my peers through regular practice and my own persistence. Things got easier when I started to let go of the idea that I had to get it right and that I needed to change people's minds. I read so much and watched many videos about the psychology of eating meat, particularly by Melanie Joy, and it really helped me to feel less angry and see that meat eaters as victims of an entrenched conditioning. Let's take a break. We'll be back with the rest of Lorraine's story after this. Under the blue moon I 
Let's continue with Lorraine's wonderful story. Another milestone last year was when I realised that I'm not just a volunteer, but a professional, and how this connected me with being a social worker. For example, working with a group of individuals who are vulnerable and oppressed can be related to a marginalised group of animals. Speciesism and discrimination too. I also have many transferable skills from being a social worker to support me in being a great advocate for animals. For example, motivating people to make changes, being empathetic to them, actively listening to them and respecting them. A year has passed now and I feel I've grown so much. I feel part of a really important time in history where we start to see more people standing up against routine animal inequality and the detrimental impact it's having on our world. I've become involved with Animal Rebellion, Farmer Dialogue Project, which is an attempt to build an alliance with farmers. I'm really excited about where this will lead, but also nervous as I come into contact with baby animals being sold at auction houses. I feel empowered to push past my own discomfort for the greater good, so I'm ready for this challenge. I regularly attend Sentience and We The Free Outreach and I'm a mentor for Challenge 22. I've recently been employed by plant-based school kitchens at Our Lady of Zion School in Worthing, which was the first ever fully plant-based school. My life is everything vegan and I love it. For the first time ever, at age 43, I'm passionate about something and completely dedicated to the cause. I've never given up so much free time to do anything else. My friendship group has completely changed and I feel a real sense of community. It took me a while to realise that there are some activists who can be quite negative, but once you find your tribe, you will know. These are the people who will build you up and make you smile. One top tip I would give to anyone new to activism is please don't keep re-traumatising yourself by watching what happens to animals. It took me a while to realise that whilst I was doing this, I could not be resilient for the animals. So there we have it, Lorraine's story of from vegetarian to direct action animal rights activist. We all have it in us, we all have the ability to make the choice to use our voice for those that don't have one. And as always, please remember there are so many ways to do animal rights activism. It is not all about standing in the street talking to people taking over bridges or spray painting Big Ben it can be as little as talking to your friends your colleagues at work making sure that people see what you're eating letting your friends taste what you're eating so they can see what they're missing this breaks down the barriers helps them understand that we don't just eat grass, that we have delicious food as well. Every single time you introduce veganism or a plant-based discussion into an environment where it wouldn't normally occur, that is activism. So please, whatever you decide to do, just do something. If you do want to join a group like Lorraine, simply go online and Google animal rights groups in your area. If you're on the south coast, 
Sentience or We The Free would love to have you join. And every week we have new volunteers contacting us, inquiring about the different styles of activism they can do within these movements. Further contact details for us at Sentience is sentienceatm at gmail.com if you'd like to ask us any questions or have any agenda you'd like to feature on the show. You can see what we're up to by going onto our TikTok, which is activist269. And you can join our Facebook page, Sentience All That Matters. On this page will be historicals of what we've been up to, as well as upcoming events normally pinned to the top of the page. And of course, finally, our website that is still under construction is sentienceatm.earth. And please bear with us, we are still working on that. Now, as Lorraine said, finding your tribe in activism is absolutely crucial. And again, like most activists, you have to step into the arena to find your ground and find where you want to be. And as an activist, one of the biggest issues you will need to decide before you step in is whether you are intersectional or whether you are just for the animals. Now, please don't get confused with what I'm trying to say here. Every vegan activist wants to see the end of animal exploitation as soon as is humanly possible. However, intersectional activists will allow themselves to talk about any genre that directs the person to becoming vegan. Veganism is about animal rights. Being an intersectional vegan means you will use any possible angle to stop people abusing animals. So Lorraine's story is a wonderful example of somebody pushing themselves out of their comfort zone and finding a new world out there, something they're passionate about, something they can commit to. And you'll find yourself that actually what is outside of that comfort zone is normally worth 10 times what you have currently inside your comfort zone. No one ever changed for the better by just sitting where they are. Unfortunately, you have to take a little bit of pain to see where you need to be standing. And with a vegan world fast approaching, you need to ask yourself, when this all comes down, what side of history did you want to be standing on? So on that tofu bombshell, we seem to have run out of time again. So until next week, here's a little crowd pleaser for you. I did my best to notice when the call came down the line. Up to the platform of surrender, I was brought but I was kind. Sometimes I get nervous When I see an open door Close your eyes, clear your heart Cut the cord 